Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. On today's episode, we're reading John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You were not fifty years old, they said, and how have you seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. As we unpack the scriptures for today, there are a handful of topics we're going to look at. One, we're going to see the Pharisees, one of their favorite sayings for Jesus, you're demon-possessed, and and unpack that a a tiny bit. We're going to see how Jesus connects the story of the prophets in the Old Testament that's leading up to himself. We're going to see Jesus declare that he is God, he's equal with God. So starting off first... Um, if you've been following with us, you see that there's a, this is an action-packed story. Um, we're always kind of leaving with the cliffhanger. The last couple of episodes, Jesus has had to defend himself. Well, he doesn't have to, but he's willing to engage with hostile individuals who are trying to trap him. Uh, they've been saying that he is a demon-possessed man who's making up things, who has no real authority. And last episode, Jesus was very straightforward. He said basically to the Pharisees who are refusing to believe no matter how many signs, no matter how much information he gives them, they refuse to be humble and curious. He says, if God were your father, you would love me, but you belong to your father, the devil. And this is where they come out the gate saying, you're a demon possessed man, Basically, anytime Jesus confronts their authority or says something challenging, uh, they just try to silence him. This is like the first experience of canceling. Jesus is saying things that they don't like. He's challenging them. And so they just immediately discredit him and try to destroy his image and authority. Thankfully, they are unable to do this and find themselves often confounded. Jesus then makes a couple comparisons, talking about how if people believe in him, they will never see death. And the people listening respond with, well, Abraham died, and so did the prophets. You think you're better than them? 
And Jesus responds so humbly. Of course he's better than them. He's the author of life. And yet, ironically, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, who you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And then he makes this other interesting statement. Your father, your supposed father, your supposed leader, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, this is mysterious on one sense. And uh, I mean, my interpretation is that, okay, Abraham's obviously up in heaven, but it's this idea that Abraham is still very much alive. He's in heaven. He, he sees and is, is been with Jesus for X amount of time, knows that Jesus is going to come to earth and is excited about it. Or maybe he's even speaking uh, prophetically that Abraham, so full of faith, knew that instead of having to sacrifice his son Isaac, that God was going to prepare the true one and only lamb, the Messiah, and was looking forward to it. Honestly, it could be both. The idea is that Abraham was faithful and was looking not to his own strength and his own righteousness and his own ability, but found himself a surrendered man who knew that he couldn't do enough. He was not enough. He needed a Messiah. And then the people are outraged and maybe scoffing. You're not 50 years old, they said, and you've seen Abraham. And Jesus does something so interesting. He says, and, and grammatically, it doesn't make any sense. So we have to understand what the, the original language is saying. He says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. So I am is a significant phrase to God the Father and now God the Son. When Moses, back in the day, was talking with God and saying, okay, you've called me to lead this people. What's your name? Who am I supposed to say is leading us? And God the Father responds with my name. I am who I am. The phrase I am, to the best of my understanding, is this past, present, future, always being, always is, always will be, and self-sufficient, I am. It's as much as we understand, at least I understand, of the name of God. It's the first instance of God being an incredibly personal deity who says, this is my name, this is who I'm calling you, and I am leading my people out of slavery and into the promised land. So Jesus is very intentionally, because his audience is Jewish, he knows that they know what this means. I remember, and, and hopefully I'm, I'm attempting to do this with a lot of grace, because I actually have an incredible respect for the, for the man I'm going to be talking about. I was in a uh, Roman history class back in college. It was probably one of the most difficult classes I've ever taken in my life. I mean, I love, this man lived and breathed Roman history. He's freaking brilliant. Um, I mean, I was just astounded by how much he knew. And he, uh, again, one of the, probably the few teachers that could come across probably difficult and mean, but I believe his intention was he, he really believed his students had the capacity and ability to learn and wanted to challenge us and stretch us. Um, now, this man was so convinced that, that Jesus and Christianity was false and that Jesus never claimed that he is God. And at the time, being you know a new Christian and, and not at all confident in my ability, really struggled. 
Um, but here is one of many times that, yes, if you're not taking in the Jewish context, if you're not uh, interested in the whole story and understanding the Jewish narrative, you would miss this. It doesn't make any sense. But Jesus is using the same name that Yahweh used for himself. Uh, it's one of the reasons that the Jews pick up stones and want to kill him. They believe he's committing the ultimate blasphemy, not only saying the name of God, which Jews did not allow themselves to say, and even wrote God's name without vowels as, as an honor to him, so they didn't say the name, let alone call themselves the name. And so Jesus is saying, before Abraham was even born, I am, I was, and I will always be God. And so they pick up stones ready to kill him. And it's so interesting. This is a good reminder. So some of the reason I don't just stop at the end of chapters is very intentional. Um, I've had wise people tell me and remind me, you know, the, the chapters and verses aren't inspired. They are just put in by human beings. And if we don't realize that the story is very much a continuation of itself, we might sometimes miss important context. So that's just a plug for that. Uh, you may already know that, maybe you don't. But that's why we're, we're seeing right into verse or chapter 9. So Jesus hides himself and slips away from the temple because the Jewish leaders are picking up stones and want to kill him. And right after this, I mean, my goodness, what boldness, what courage, what persistence and love that is motivating this man-God. They're just ready to kill him. He hides himself, slips away, and the immediate next verse is, as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. Jesus feels compelled to heal this blind man. He doesn't stop his mission, even though the religious leaders are on his heels and want to kill him. He has such passion and conviction for his mission from God. Sorry for the rhyming, I used to be a rapper. But he is so focused on serving God and freeing human beings, and showing human beings that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the main ways he does this is by miraculous signs. He doesn't care about what other people think about him. So in our text, in our current day, we tend to get angry and frustrated when people hate us, and we, we fight back on social media or otherwise. Jesus doesn't do that. He ignores their hatred and continues to do good works for the Father. He doesn't find himself constantly rebuttaling or defending or proving or any of that. He just focuses on the mission. He serves and he loves. And this is hard for myself as someone who doesn't like feeling wronged, who wants justice. But I have to follow my Savior and my Savior shows us that the mission is more important than just being right, quote-unquote. And one last thing, I am yet convicted again that as I'm revisiting this text, that Jesus is so focused on glorifying his Father. Now, why is that important? And why is that a model for us? Well, I don't know about you, but I am obsessed with myself. I'm always worried how I'm coming across, what my image looks like. And I don't mean on social media, like I think that that just creates anxiety for myself, so I tend to avoid it. But day to day, how do people think about me? How do people see me? Am I important to other people? And for me, and I know for all of us, that is death. 
it steals from us. It makes me anxious. It makes me preoccupied, distracted, miserable. And I'm so thankful that as I'm seeing this text, yes, Jesus is on mission and that's the focus and he is the Christ. I think he's also modeling for us what it means to love the Lord our God first. Instead of being obsessed with myself, my image, my goals, my hopes, to be open to what God is doing and what he says about me and what his mission is and the good works that he's created for me to walk into. Yes, there's absolutely a place to just sit and be still and receive his love, but there's also a call to be so focused on who he is and what he's doing and not be so obsessed in my little kingdom that I'm trying to create. And I just realized it's even beyond my image and my hopes Sometimes, especially as a counselor and in the world of emotional language and needs, I can be obsessed with my needs. And this is a hard balance to find. And I'll even do an episode uh, going into this further. But for now, we also can't become relentless for our needs. Yes, needs are good. And it's good to ask for them. It's good to advocate for them. But I know in myself and others, we can easily feel justified to get bitter and angry and resentful and unforgiving because our needs aren't met by someone else. And again, there's true pain there. It's good to have needs. It's good to advocate for them. But ultimately, we can't demand and say, you have to give this to me. I don't feel loved by you, so you have to make me feel loved. You're trying to listen to me or hear me, but it doesn't feel that way, so you have to do better. Again, there's nuance. Holding people accountable and saying, man, you're not even looking me in the eyes when I'm talking to you. That hurts, being vulnerable, being honest, advocating. And in all honesty, maybe I need to articulate this better because I know it's a sensitive area. So I'm open to feedback. But there's some part of this that I know is true. Because I know I can put my ultimate needs on human beings instead of God. My ultimate sense of being known. My ultimate sense of being loved. My ultimate sense of being content and satisfied, which no human being can offer. And I would only suffocate a relationship if I said a human being has to give me what only God can give me. As I know in times when uh, my wife and I are struggling, we're fighting, the conflict goes so much better when my rock is Christ, when my identity and ultimate sense of belonging and connection and love is God and not my wife. It gives me power and strength and fuel to be more patient. And friends, I fail a lot, so don't think I do this perfectly. But I know the difference between relying on my own strength versus God and his presence and what he's already given me. That concludes today's episode. As usual, thank you so much for listening. Uh, As a reminder, I'm cutting back to one episode a week, released every Wednesday. 
uh, for the foreseeable future with a baby on the way and so much preparation and joy uh, in the works. Uh, just trying to do what feels feasible, sustainable, and what I can be consistent in. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.